Good morning, everyone. It's great to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. It's been great to be able to worship the Lord and music and song and fellowship and prayer and all the other ways. And, and I know that if you're like me, Sunday mornings sometimes aren't the easiest to actually get up, get going and get here. Amen. Huh? I know that uh, for all of us, it's a struggle sometimes, but once we get here, it's like so many other things in life the Lord wants us to do, it's an incredible blessing. So it's good to be in his house and uh, to sing his praises and just to be with the family of God. It's good for me to be back in your presence. You're a pretty good looking group of people with some exceptions as I stare out over the audience, but uh, you are all friendly. That's a good thing. So let's pray together, okay? Father, we thank you and praise you that we can be in your house. It is a blessing to worship you. It is a blessing to be able to fellowship with other believers. It is a blessing to be able to just, <clears throat> excuse me, to pray together. It is a blessing to be able to sing together, to worship you with song. It's a blessing to be able to give of our tithes and our offerings to support your ministry and to build your kingdom. And I pray now, Lord, as we come to your word that you would speak to us. Speak to us in ways, Lord, that don't necessarily entertain us. Don't speak to us in ways, Lord, that just make us feel good. But speak to us in ways that truly change us. Challenge us to become more of who you want us to be. Challenge us to become more like you. And it's in Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen. There was a school teacher in a school system, and she joined a program where teachers would volunteer and they would go into a hospital when a child was in the hospital and had long-term illness of some sort, and they would help the child keep up on their schoolwork. And so she got a call that she was to help this one young man, and she did all the preliminary work that she was supposed to do. She talked to this young man's teacher, and the young man's teacher said, yes, you know, he, he really is going to be there a long time. He's been in the hospital for quite some time already. And, and what I'm really worried about is English. He really needs to catch up and to stay up on English, and so she prepared her lessons and she went to the hospital. She had no idea before she got there how bad this little boy was. This little boy had been burned horribly in an accident, had been in the hospital for quite some time. She didn't even think he looked like he would possibly even survive his injuries, and so she kind of struggled and she kind of got through the lesson as best as she could without much response from him. She went home and she thought to herself that that was a real waste of time, that that really there wasn't anything accomplished in her time with that little boy. And, and yet the next week she had to go back and go through the routine again. And when she walked into the hospital, one of the nurses came up and said, look, I just want to thank you. I don't know what you did to that little boy last week. And she began to apologize because she thought, well, maybe I've done something wrong. And the nurse said, no, no, realize I'm thanking you. Whatever you did, it really turned things around. It's like he got a new lease on life. It's like he's fighting to live now. It's like he's made a choice to actually progress and to get better. Later on, when the little boy did get better, the teacher asked him, what was it that changed you? And this is what he said. He said, they wouldn't send a teacher to teach nouns and adverbs and verbs to a dying boy. The offering of hope. Have any of you ever in your life been in a situation where someone came to you and offered you in the midst of that situation hope? 
where in the midst of things looking bad and you weren't sure if you could get through, something happened that lifted your spirits and made you make a choice to say, I can go on, I can take that next step, I can move on to that next piece and that next journey of life. Or maybe have you ever been the one who offered that hope? Hope is a word that we use all the time in our contemporary language. It's a word that probably we hear more than, than we think so. We, we hear things like this, I hope it doesn't rain this week. I hope I can get a new car this year. I hope I can find a job. I hope my kids do well in school. I hope WVU doesn't lose that game that it appears they're going to yesterday afternoon. And we use that word over and over and over, I hope, I hope, I hope. But it really isn't hope that we're speaking of when we're using it, is it? It's not really hope. It, it really is more like, I wish. I wish this would happen. I wish that would happen. I wish that my sports team would do better. But hope, that is real hope, that is godly hope, that is biblical hope, is hope that is based on belief. Because it is a hope that is wrapped up in some mysterious way. I wish I could explain it so it was black and white, so it was easy to understand. But I just know it's a mysterious way that this hope is wrapped up in faith. Believing what we hope for is in fact true is the essence of faith. Not just something you wish for, but something you look forward to, something you trust will happen. In Hebrews 11, 1 and 2, in, in this classic definition of faith given by Scripture, it tells us this. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for, right, and certain of what we do not see. It's being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Maybe it could be explained better by, by the uh, dad who showed up late for his son's little league game. And he rushes into the game and it's only the, the top of the first inning. And he goes over to the dugout to the team that his son's playing for, and he says, hey, what's the score? And the little boy turns around and says, we're down 18 to nothing. 18 to nothing? Yeah. He said, well, why are you so happy? He said, because we haven't even got up to bat yet, right? <laughs> there is a hopeful optimism that once we get our shot, we'll do just fine. Last week, almost at this same time with the time change difference, I was in Arizona, and I was at the west end of the Grand Canyon on the Skywalk. Has anyone ever seen the Skywalk at the west end of the Grand Canyon? I, I, if you were here a few weeks ago when I was here with you and talked to you about how much I hate to fly, I hate heights, I've got tons of phobias. And yet I decided I was going to buy a ticket to see the Grand Canyon, never seen it before, and, and I went ahead and just added 20 bucks to walk on this Skywalk deal. And so I got there and I was the only person there. And I walk out, and I put these little things on my shoes to protect the glass, and I walk out through the door, and the Grand Canyon is right there. And the next step you make, the Grand Canyon is right there, <laughs> down through the glass. And there's this teenage girl who's working there for minimum wage, probably, out in the middle of the little horseshoe walk, leaning on the rail like there's nothing to this, laughing at me because I'm just barely stepping out on the glass. Now, here's the deal. I had hope and I had faith in that skywalk. But it was much deeper than a wish. If I wished the glass wouldn't break, I never would have stepped on the skywalk. You see what I'm saying? But I believed that that glass wouldn't break. I believed that I could walk all the way around. 
I was still worried. I was still concerned. I was still human. I still took my steps very gingerly until I got halfway around. Then I took them very quickly to get back in the building, right? And yet, that is the kind of hope that God speaks to us. Many of us, our hope is just a simple wish. But when it's in God, it's more than a wish. When it's in God, it's a hope we can trust. When it's in God, it's a hope we can believe in. When it's in God, it's a hope we can expect to happen. Listen to the prayer that Paul has for the followers of Jesus in Rome. In Romans 15, 13, he says this. He says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. I love these words. Listen to this. So that you may what? Say it. Overflow with hope. Say that out loud again. So that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Wouldn't it be awesome? Just listen to me. Wouldn't it be awesome if every one of us in here who truly knows Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior would wake up every day and really live that day overflowing with hope? Believing that God has this all in his hands. Believing that whatever trials I face will be okay because I serve a God who is greater than anything that comes my way. And the fact is, because what Jesus has done, we all have that opportunity. The fact is, that's not just a pipe dream. The fact is, that's not just a wish. The fact is, that's exactly how God, through Jesus Christ, calls us to live every day of our life. But what does that mean in a real practical way? Well, Let me go to another passage in Romans where Paul's talking to the church at Rome. Excuse me. And and I want us to kind of look at what's going on here in chapter 8, starting in verse 18. We're going to read about uh, 9 or 10 verses. Starting in verse 18, it tells us this. He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. Now we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we await eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with his will. Now, there's a lot of depth in that passage. And we could preach a hundred sermons and do probably a hundred Bible studies or more from just what's in there. But what I want you to pay attention to is this is that in this passage where Paul is talking to the Romans about hope, he has three kind of of things that he looks at, and it is this. He looks to the past, he looks to the present, and he looks to the future. And basically what we see there is that the hope is rooted in the past, it's experienced in the present, and then it's realized in its fullness in the future. And Paul talks about hope in these three phases. 
And first of all, he tells us this, that our hope looks back to a promise. Now, now you all have been in church for a while, understand all of this, or maybe you don't. But we know that we serve a God who didn't just pop on the scene, right? We serve a God that we didn't just uncover, that we didn't just discover. We serve a God who has a history that's as old as the history of our creation and way beyond that to infinity and eternity. And so our hope looks back to a promise. It began in creation when we were created to be in fellowship with God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Sin came into the world through the choice of Adam and Eve and broke this covenant with God. That sin is now a part of our world. The ugliness, the death, the suffering, all of that that comes along with it. But along in history comes Abraham and God issues a covenant to basically set all things right in the end. The covenant is lived out throughout the Old Testament through Abraham's family, through the prophets, through David. And then it is fulfilled in Jesus when he comes into the world. You look at Zechariah's praise to God in Luke chapter 1 starting in verse 69. And you just see this fulfillment happening. He says he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hands of all who hate us to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days." And that Old Testament covenant is fulfilled and Jesus establishes a new covenant, one with the same purpose, which is to bring us back where we were created to be in the first place, to fulfill the old covenant, the old promise, and to instate this new covenant. In Luke twenty-two twenty, 20, we read this in the same way. After the supper, Jesus took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And Luke in the book of Acts says this in, ch- in chapter 13, We tell you the good news, what God promised our fathers, he has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. As it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have become your father. And in 13, 38, and 39 of Acts, he says, Therefore, my brothers, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is justified from everything you could not be justified from by the law of Moses. Now here's the deal. You're like, man, he just went through a bunch of stuff right there. I did to simply say this. God has always promised. He has always promised. He has always intended that he will bring us back home. Back to where we were created to be in the first place. Forgiven of our sins. Living in right relationship with him. You know what? I never made Jesus Lord of my life. I don't know anyone that has ever made Jesus Lord of their life. The scriptures tell me that Jesus is Lord, period. Amen? I just know people who have acknowledged the truth that Jesus is Lord. I lived a lie for a long time in my life, and there was a day when I looked to the heavens and I said, Lord, I accept the fact, I acknowledge the fact, I'm not making you Lord of my life, I'm acknowledging that you have always been Lord, and I want the personal benefit of what it means to live under your Lordship. I acknowledge you as Lord and Savior of my life. What's the big deal in all of this? Well, the big deal in all this is all of that that God has done for us. 
is where our joy comes from. All that God has put in place is where our peace comes from. All that God has done through Christ is where our strength comes from. All that he has done in our salvation is where our fulfillment comes from. All that he has promised us and delivered for us is where our abundance and our eternal life come from. It all comes from Jesus. And it all looks back to a promise. I want you to be with me. And I will make a way that you can. I will bring you where you need to be. A lot of times in our work as pastors, we get so excited about the future. And we get so enamored with the present that we forget to celebrate the past. We forget that everything we're doing here this morning at Clarksburg Baptist Church, the building we're in, the worship we're doing, all of it rests upon the backs of saints that that we don't know the names of, that went years before us, that made sacrifices, that did things to build what we are enjoying. And it's that way in all of the Christian faith and the Christian tradition. We have to celebrate our past. If we don't look back to that promise, then we miss the power of hope for the present. But Paul tells us that hope impacts our current life. Here's the deal. When I stood at the skywalk, do you think it made a difference that I believed it would hold? Anybody? I can tell you right now it made a difference. Right? If you've ever been there, there's not a rope anywhere around the edge of the Grand Canyon. There's not a guardrail. There's not even a line that says, don't cross here, you're dumb if you do. Right? And there are people standing on the very edge with their heels hanging over a 4,000-foot drop taking selfies so that they can get it in the background. And I'm standing 20 feet back going, no way, I'm not even getting close, right? You have to believe. And when you believe, it impacts what you do. It impacts what you do right now. It impacts how you live right now in your life. In Romans, the church at Rome was going through some serious persecution. They knew what it was like to suffer. And some of you know what it's like to suffer. Some of you know what it's like to deal with your own death, to deal with a terminal illness. Some of you know what it's like to deal with marital problems. You know what it's like to deal with financial difficulties. You know what it's like to deal with depression. You know what it's like to deal with stuff that just seems to rob you of your joy. But Paul says, listen to it. He says, I consider... That our present sufferings are not worth what? Comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Now, if we have that kind of hope, it will change how we face those times in our life. Have you ever met someone who's going through that trial? And you go in and you're going to bless them, right? You're going to go in because you got your life together. And you're going to visit with them. And you're going to share the right words. And you're going to say the right prayer. And you're going to read the right scripture. And you're going to bless this person that's laid in the hospital. Or you're going to be a blessing to this person who's struggling with financial difficulties. And you walk out of there shaking your head like, man, how did I just get blessed by that person? How can they face that? They face it because they have hope. They face it differently than those who don't. How many of you heard that scripture over and over and over, read at funerals, right? We do not mourn like those who mourn without hope. We don't face anything like those without hope. And this hope changes the present tense. Lewis Smedes wrote, is there a hope when hope is taken away? Is there hope when the situation is hopeless? That question leads us to Christian hope. For in the Bible, hope, listen to this is no longer a passion for the possible. It becomes a passion for the promise. 
It's not a passion for the possible, but it's a passion for the promise. In Romans 4.18, I love the way Paul says this. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, and so became the father of many nations. Wouldn't it be great if we lived the kind of lives where people said that about us? Against all hope, right? Ed in hope believed. Against all hope, John in hope believed. Against all hope, Amy in hope believed. Because of that relationship with Jesus Christ. He also tells us something else that helps us in this present time. He tells us that the Spirit helps us in the midst of our weakness. When we don't even know what to say, when we don't even know what to pray, the Lord is right there with us. I heard an old preacher say one time, and I'm sure you've heard it too, God won't bring, it, bring us to anything that he won't bring us through. And it is exactly the truth. And he promises to be there with us. Now, our hope is rooted in this promise of the past. And it changes our behavior right now in the present as we face those things that come our way. But it is also focused on the future. Our hope is focused on the future. In Romans 8, 24 and 25, Paul says, For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we what? We wait for it patiently right? We do what we're called to do right now. Uh, there are some people that are so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good, and that is the truth. There are some people who are so focused on that cabin down in the corner of glory that they're not any use to the Lord right here and now, and that's not what we need to be. We need to be looking forward to where God's going to take us for eternity, but until we get there, we need to be focused on what He wants us to do right here, right now, to make a difference for Him and to be His ambassador right here. But the fact is, we do have that hope in the future, Amen. The fact is, we do have that place we're going to go. We do have that future of eternal life secured through Jesus Christ. In Titus chapter 2, verse 13, we read, While we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. But Paul uses this imagery in this scripture in Romans of the first fruits in this passage. Those of us who know Christ have the first fruits of the Spirit. We have the kind of a taste, if you will, of what's to come. How many of you have torn down your tomato plant vines already and got your gardens all ready for the winter to plant them next year? How many of you plant tomatoes? Raise your hand. I know you're out there. Raise your hands high and be proud. Okay, there you go. There you go. How many of you have a lot of tomatoes when they come on? Anybody? You can still? Does anyone here still can and stuff, right? Yeah, when they come on and you got tons of tomatoes, they become kind of a chore, don't they? And you're just like, man, where did all these tomatoes come from? You're giving tomatoes to the neighbors. You're bringing them in here to church and setting them there for people to take home with them. And if they don't, you pretend they did and you leave them here, right? <laughs> you're canning spaghetti sauce. You're doing all this stuff. And you're just inundated with tomatoes. But remember that first one that comes? Isn't that the best thing in the world? That first red tomato that you pull off the vine... If you do like me, you slice it up, you put it on a piece of bread, and you put mayonnaise on it, and you eat it just like that, right? It's the first fruits of what's to come. It's a hard life we live. I guarantee you, every single one of you in here knows someone today who is suffering like crazy. They're suffering because of illness. They're suffering because of marital problems. They're suffering because of finances. They're suffering because of depression. 
whatever it might be, they are just suffering. And you wish you could alleviate that suffering. Maybe you're the one. Well, God comes and he says, you see, throughout all of history, I've been fulfilling this promise I've made to you. And that is I will never leave you and I'll never forsake you if you just turn to me. That is, I created you to live with me forever. I created you to be my best friend. And all you got to do is come home. And I'll make this thing right. Not that all your sorrow is going away. Not that all your struggles are going to go away. But that in the midst of it, you're going to have this hope that rooted in the past and focused on the future, you have this hope. And it'll change the way you live in the present. It's like that tomato you take a bite of. And you're like, man, one of these days I'm going to be inundated with this. One of these days I'm going to have fresh tomatoes galore. One of these days all these struggles are going to be behind me. And none of this is going to be there.